on this Sunday conversation, we sit down with a, I have to say, a brilliant physician. We learn about movement, proper exercises, and the ability to train yourself out of injury. Enjoy. Let's go. Three, two, one. Okay, guys, we are here with Kevin Brown, and he is a physical therapist, has his own clinic here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, Kevin, just go ahead and tell us a little about yourself. Uh, well, thanks for having me on, Mike. Uh, it should be fun. I guess uh, I'm a physical therapist, uh, graduated Ohio State uh, Physical Therapy School in 2012, and I've been in orthopedics and sports medicine ever since. I was a gymnast at Ohio State, so I have an athletic background as well. I'm currently at Central Ohio Spine and Joint. We're a multidisciplinary health and um, medical facility. We have chiropractic care, massage therapy, physical therapy, acupuncture. We do dry needling. So we work as a team to get people healthy and improve their function long term so they can continue doing the things they want to do. Um, so we do a lot with people who are you know, having aches and pains or are, are not moving to the level that they want to move. And it's our job to, number one, get them out of pain, but bigger than that is provide them a long-term plan to stay healthy, active, and pain-free long-term so they can continue functioning at a high level. So That's, that's a big, 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 big thing. But essentially, you're essential. When it comes to the health and fitness realm, you are essential. So the one question we always ask everybody is, in your mind, what is performance in your field and how it applies to everyday life? when it comes to the business side, the athletic side. So when someone comes up and says, Kevin, what's performance? I mean, to me, uh, at a very basic level, performance comes down to, uh, number one, ability to move without pain, first and foremost. And then on top of that, being able to do the fundamental things that we all need to do, whether we're the 80-year-old grandma or we're the elite athlete. It just depends on that spectrum, how well you have to do them and how Far you have to take those movement skills to prepare your body to do what you need to do in life or what you need to do in sports. So for me, performance is a word that we usually only attribute to an athlete or something with athletic, athletic you know, promise or goals, but really performance is more about just your ability to live life and have a, a level of function from in terms of movement strength, flexibility, endurance, um, that can be cardiovascular endurance to do the things that you want to do. And if you are an athlete, you need to prepare your body to perform at a higher level than what you would as you know just an average adult wanting to play with their kids, go golf. But performance is all about movement, maintaining flexibility, maintaining strength, and then being able to apply those movement skills to the activity that you want to do. So, so it could be so performance could be labeled with every single client or every single individual based on what they want to do. So if I'm just a weekend warrior that wants to be better at playing with my kids and I come in and say, hey, you know, I have trouble kneeling down with my children to play on the ground with them. What would your first response be on how to increase my performance on that? Like I come in and say, hey, my knees and my back hurts when I kneel down. Yeah, very, very good question. So a lot of times, you know, we're always explaining to people that the, the pain or the symptom they're feeling is just that it's a symptom. It's not the real cause of their problems. Typically, you know, we want to get someone performing at a high level. We need them, you know, for the person that's dealing with knee pain when they're kneeling, you know, we need to address the symptomatic, you know, pain by improving their flexibility, improving the soft tissue, making it not painful to do the activity. But long-term, we need to improve their strength, movement, flexibility, and then their body awareness overall so that they know how to utilize exercise and movement to not only stay out of pain but improve their performance long-term. So to me, performance is just, like I said, your ability to do the things you want to do. And in order to achieve a high-level performance, exercise is really the best tool that we have to maintain health, performance, fitness. And it's just uh, learning how to utilize the this tool of exercise to achieve the goal that you want to achieve. And for most people, it's just, I want to be healthy, I want to be active, I want to feel younger, I don't want to have aches and pains. So we teach people how to use exercise to maintain their health, maintain that basic fundamental movement skill so that they can, can achieve those, those things. See, and that's the one thing I think a lot of people miss because, you know, here at the gym, we had a lot of people that come in and say, I want to get healthier. 
and we're like, okay, what does that mean? No one can really come to the definition. And, you know, we always ask the same question with the PAR-Q is, okay, explain more what healthy is, and then you have any aches or pain. Oh, yeah, my shoulder hurts, my back hurts, but I've been living with it for years. I'm just done with it. So you don't have to live with it. That's, but, that's right. <laughs> people just so, say, I want to live with it. And people think, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about exercise, fitness, what's good, what's not. And honestly, you know, anyone can can say that they're an expert on exercise and fitness, post a YouTube video, but it really takes an understanding of how the movement system of the human body works, number one, and then how to utilize that movement system to achieve goals like strength, speed, power on the higher end. But everyone comes, it's just like, if you play a sport, there are certain basic skills that are required to play that sport. If you play the sport of life, there's certain movement skills that you need to be able to do and the way we practice them and then maintain them long term is with you know fundamental exercise then if you depending on your goal whether it's weight loss I want to golf I want to improve my sprinting speed then you can adapt those fundamental movement skills tweak the variables of load intensity volume and then tailor it more towards a specific goal but on the baseline level you still need to be able to move well. You need to be able to do certain movement patterns. So that's what that's what we judge performance on. If your shoulder hurts and then we ask you to lift your arm over your head, but you can't, uh, you know that's a movement skill. Lifting your arm over your head without pain and without with the proper form and and mechanics, so that there, we don't want to see compensations in the body because we know that when we look at your movement, if we see those compensations, that is probably the result of your pain. And even if you're not having pain now, it's a risk factor for injury, especially if you're saying, I want to I want to perform at a high level, and you can't do the basics. And what we see in the, the elite athletes is they are actually able to mask those fundamental movement deficiencies because they're athletic, because they're coordinated, because they're strong, and they've done it for years and years. The body's going to find a way to perform the activity. It doesn't mean that you're healthy and you're performing well. It just means you're getting by. Yeah, so, it's, so you can mask it depending on how athletic you are. It's like when we do tests here is I always I try not to tell them what we're looking for because if I say, hey, we're going to look at your hips and your knees, well, you can cheat the system, theoretically. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was a PT, and this was a while ago, we never really spoke focused on performance. It was functional, like how functional you are. And, you know, my professor and, you know, the guy I worked with, he said functional is can you go to the restroom by yourself and can you clothe and declothe yourself? That was the determined function. Is that still kind of what we base function on, or has it changed? Well, I, I hope it's changed. You know, if you're, you know as I, I was physical therapy school, if you were talking to an insurance company and they're they're looking at, you know, you're putting the note down and they want to see function, and you're working in a skilled nursing facility, yeah, that's what they care about. But we know now that function is much much more than just your ability to do the task. It's about, you know, the quality of the movement uh, and, and and the things that are. Every task requires a certain mobility and stability aspect. So, you know, to get down on the ground and get up from the ground, you can do that in several ways, but can you do it in a way that's not going to wrench your back and that's repeatable over time so that when you're gardening or you're going up steps that you don't incur injury and that you're able to do it without, without the, you know, putting the tax on your body. So to me, function and performance are the same thing. You're just, you know, performance has a more sports you know, fitness type thing and function is more medical. But if you're performing well, you're functioning well. And it's a lot more than just being able to go to the bathroom. It's about, you know, how do your joints move? How do your muscles perform? Are you able to recruit the muscles in a right in the right way so that you're not overloading the wrong thing? There's a lot of stuff that goes into looking at performance and looking at movement that you know, quite frankly, most people in the fitness industry, they don't really have that level of, or that ability to look at it and then fix it in people. So I work all the time with fitness. I think the more we can combine fitness and medical people, the better we're going to get people performing, the better we're going to get people functioning because, you know, they're going to learn from each other and be able to apply it in a more holistic way. And see, I think more people are afraid to they see you and they're thinking, I'm not broken. I don't need to go to a medical side of the training. Mm-hmm. I just want to do my personal training, you know, my curls and my squats and be healthy. And I think there is some kind of taboo with it when I say, well, go see your chiropractor or go see a, um, you know, a mental therapist. And they're thinking, oh, no, I'm not broken. 
or go see a physical therapist. Oh, I can't do that. I'm not broken. Why am I going to go there? It's like they look at you as a last resort, which in some cases you should be the first resort. Um, and, you know, we've had side conversations where a lot of people in the fitness realm that, you know, are personal trainers or sports coaches, they don't know what they're looking for and so forth. They can't fix certain issues. Like you talked about an athlete cheating the system. You would catch that. Yeah, and, and, and it, it, you know, it's a pet peeve of mine. I talk to the primary care physician. You know, they're, they're in char- supposed to be in charge of the overall health of their patients. But I think musculoskeletal health, movement health gets taken for granted and overlooked. And so it's something that we're always, you know, I'm always fighting for that if, if you can see me and gain the knowledge through the stuff that I'm helping you with before you're hurt, you're going to prevent a lot of injuries down the road. And if you do get hurt, you're going to have a baseline knowledge on how to fix those, those injuries and manage your body long term. I always use the, um, the analogy of, of a car and, a, and the body. So your, your, your body is kind of like a car and the fact that it needs daily maintenance, it needs maintenance to maintain the level. And then the more miles you put on it, the more maintenance it needs. And it's just like, you know, we go to the dentist every six months because you know we know that maintaining the health of our teeth is vital to not just our teeth but our heart and everything and we it's not like we don't do anything on our own we're supposed to brush our teeth and floss on a daily basis we understand dental health at a very very basic level in order to provide self-care and then we go to the professionals for the maintenance that's how i view uh, physical health and musculoskeletal health. You should be doing something on a regular basis, understanding how those stretches, exercises, how going on a walk is, is helping you. But then you also, unless you want to really, really learn it on your own, you can go to a medical professional on a routine basis to make sure that that movement system and your musculoskeletal health is working well. And if you're going to a personal trainer on a regular basis, they should also be able to, to perform that service for you in communication with ideally a physical therapist and your primary care physician. We talk a lot in the in the medical field about preventative care and you know we call it um, you know uh, universal health you know not just or population health is another word and it's, it's just about taking ownership of of the overall health of the human human being not just being retroactive and treating disease but really trying to prevent injury and prevent these chronic diseases from happening and exercise in my opinion is the greatest tool it's shown in the research it's the greatest tool that we have for maintaining long-term health the fact the point or the problem is number one it takes discipline from the person to do it but it also takes a knowledge on how to exercise appropriately and even primary care physicians will tell people Go on a walk. It doesn't really matter what you do. Just keep moving. And mm-hmm. for some people, that advice works because their movement system is working. But for the majority of people, you know, they're able to do that activity, and it helps them a little bit, but they need much more. They need to really someone to look at their movement system and make sure that they continue to maintain basic level of movement. And if they are trying to perform activities on a higher level, it's really that much more important that they're having those things checked um, on a regular basis and then gaining that knowledge on how to apply it, apply the exercises, stretches for a home routine that they can do consistently over time. And that needs to be modified every once in a while depending on the person, but that's the goal, is to educate, teach people how to use exercise, and then check in every once in a while so that they can continue maintaining their health and, and treat any acute injuries that we find. And see, it's, it sounds simple. I mean, we all know that we're supposed to brush our teeth you know, and floss, and some of us don't do that, but, and we all, now the big thing now is what, eight hours of sleep, nine, I don't, who knows anymore, yeah. and then you hear on the news all the time about what foods to eat, what foods not to eat, mm-hmm. people eat that up, but I don't understand why people don't eat up the whole idea of what you just said, is, you know, if you take care of your car, you know, you change oil, every, everybody knows change oil every 3,000 miles or every so many months, rotate your tires once a year, whatever, you know, take maintenance on your car. But when it comes to the human body, we're just like, eh, we don't care. And there's so much information out there. So in your opinion, why do you think people are hard to grasp that when it comes to information on their body, but they're so easy to grasp on sleep eight hours, drink this much water, don't eat eggs or eat eggs. Now, I don't even know where we're supposed to eat, if we're supposed to eat eggs now or not. <laughs> it changes like every week. Or now the, the thing last year was what? Bacon? Eat as much bacon as you can. So why are people so in tune and grasping that, but they're so hard on grasping the idea is treating your body like a car, 
the more usage, the more care. You know, if I, if I had the answer to that, I would... Uh, well, I, I was hoping you had the but, answer. But no, my, my opinion on that would be, you know, number one is... The, there's not a there's not one mess that message isn't being sent very much you know even like I said like your your primary care physician will tell you will at least they ask me hey are you going to the dentist and they, they go and they, I answer the question so they they know to ask the questions they know to value it it's just universally known that that's what you do um, with everyone knows nutrition is really really important and so they're gonna delve into it but most people take I think it's there's not a universal message being sent from the primary care physicians and from just everyone in general. And then there's so many different, it's assumed that you can do it on your own. You know, the people, they over, it is a simple process once you know how to do it, but in order to teach someone how to move and maintain that movement is a very, very unique skill that physical therapists, chiropractors, a few other professions, you know, personal trainers and fitness people should be gaining that knowledge. But that's the other thing. There's no, there's no universal system for movement, and there's only a couple people that have really delved into that space to even try to create a system. So that's what I, I spent you know, my career on, and, and we have a system that I take everyone through, and it's very systematic, so we know how to track progress and look at movement. Um, so the combination of, you know, it's just not being promoted from health professionals to, you know, everyone's doing it to it's taken for granted for it just, people just assume it's going to happen on its own. And they don't realize that, you know, when you're 60 and you're having all those aches and pains and you're starting to not be able to do the things that you want to do, it could have been prevented a long time ago. Um, and it still can be prevented. It's just, you know, they don't know where to turn to. They're going to seek the pain pill for the pain. And then they're going to, you know, once the pain's gone, they're not going to really delve into the root cause. And so people aren't getting fixed to the point where they're able to, to take that long term. And it's just that cycle of I have pain. I go to the doctor, I get out of pain for a short term, and then that's why we have some of the issues that we have in the medical community with opioid overuse, with you know people not being able to exercise and be active so they're not able to control their weight. And, you know, we, we can take the root cause of not being able to exercise and move, and it, you know, it's a domino effect of other health diseases that we see, but... That would be my answer. I know it was a little long-winded, but no. I think it's, you know, people just don't, they take it for granted, and they, they think you can just move and you'll be fine, and some people can, and I think that's the curse, is some people start to, you know, they maybe been sedentary, and then they, they do, they go to yoga, or they do, like, that exercise video, and they have great results, and they tell their friends, and that, that one-size-fits-all mentality, they're just looking for that quick fix, and then you get the fads out there, you know, the, the P90Xs, right. the, the yoga, if you're, t you know, everyone knows, if you're inflexible, go, I need to do yoga to improve my flexibility, and it, it might work, but you need someone to evaluate why you're tight, and figure out a personalized plan for you, it'll all, it'll all resemble close to the same thing, because we're working on the same fundamentals, but how it's applied is unique to every person. And so it's just really important to look at the movement on an overall basis and how you move in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. It should be the same. You know, you shouldn't really see much decline on the basic level. Maybe you won't be able to jump as high or run as fast, but you shouldn't have pain just because you're getting older. It's, that's not an excuse. So. See, I'm glad you said that because so many people say, well, I'm 60, 50, 40. That's why I'm sore. Well, no, that's, you don't have pain because of your age. You have pain because of improper movement. I think people are afraid to hear that. And the answer from my pull from that was actually pretty good. Is one, there's so much, there's so much information. No one knows which one's right because there's no correct path. There's like a hundred different ways to become healthy or move better because there's no symptomatic reason on how this should be done. And I think there is people do take it for granted. They think it's oh well, it's not going to happen to me, or it, it's work. You know, I can go buy bacon and eat that every day. It tastes good. But if you tell me I have to do a hundred body weight squats or you know, walking lunges for a mile, that's hard and it takes time and I don't want to do it because it's just, it's difficult. And I think that's the biggest thing. People want the easiest way out. Now you mentioned something about yoga, which I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question on this one. When I was doing, um, you know, when I did a lot of therapy stuff was, you know, our professors and stuff said that flexibility is good, but you still need tension in the joints. Yeah. If you're too flexible, what they call them yogis, 
there's a problem because they said that um, a lot of people that did a lot, a lot of yoga um, would get a lot of herniated discs, issues with their hips. There's a better chance of uh, dislocation with them. Mm-hmm. Now, that was you know 15 years ago. Is that still a thing today or is that just a fad back in the day? So I think there's, there's some truth to that, but number one, so I, I think yoga is a great activity to improve your health and to, you know, there's a lot more that I, that I don't really understand about yoga that I'm not yoga certified, but there's a mental aspect to it, a breathing aspect, just a, you know, a peace of mind that, that is, has a lot of health benefits. But from, if we're looking at yoga from just a movement standpoint, you know, it requires you to go through the ends end stages of range of motion and hold that posture or move it may, it, it requires you to move through a wide uh, range of movements under load and it, what I mean by that is is you're in a weight-bearing position the majority of the time where you're in those extreme extreme positions so if you're you know in a um, an upward dog your back is all the way arched but you you're on your hands and you're the back is under an incredible amount of load, and if you don't have the ability to control that motion, it's not going to be beneficial for you. So if you take someone who's really, really tight, and they go to do yoga, they may improve their mobility a little bit, but if they're truly tight, and the reason that they can't move is because they're stiff, it's not, you're not going to help relax the musculature anyways. It's, then they're not going to be able to get the benefit of yoga until they restore that mobility in the muscular tissue. So... It's kind of, you know, and then the people that have a lot of success with yoga tend to be really, really flexible, and they like it, but if you're too flexible and you can't control that range, it's going to put added stress on the joints, added stress on the spine, so what happens is you, you get, they're taking their body to those end ranges, but they don't have the control and the stability to control that range, so it ends up tearing and wearing away at the body so yoga is really good it's a good activity if you know how to modify the movements and you know how you know you know your basic level and you can control it um, but when you, usually it's done in a class setting and there's no evaluation necessarily and you're it's just there's a lot to know like I said it all comes down to knowing the movement principles that are important to life exercise and then once you know those you can apply it to any activity whether you like to cycle or row or yoga box you know every I was a gymnast so if you look at gymnastics movements they're fundamental to life I mean the same things required to you know land off of a dismount that's a squat pattern you know when you land and so when you bend down to pick something up so you could be training someone for you know to absorb a landing or you could be training them to pick something off the ground you still use the squat pattern Mm -hmm. and that movement to train that skill or train that level of performance is just applied at a different level if you're a gymnast versus someone who just wants to pick something off off the ground and so when you take that person if they have the knowledge they can go and do yoga as an activity do it within their range that's appropriate for them and have success but if they don't know that they're either going to succeed or fail based on their just blind luck of being put into a situation and people tend to do things that they're good at so you don't see a lot of tight people in yoga. Right. You see a lot of people that are already naturally a little bit flexible, and they, you know, they may get more flexible, or they may feel like they're improving their mobility because it was the right fit for them uh, from an exercise standpoint. And if you do have mobility, but you're lacking just a little bit of stability, sometimes those yoga movements will help you improve the stability, so it's going to be really, really beneficial for you. Some people need to load at that end range to improve their health, but some people can't. And some people to be detrimental to. It just it takes, you know, someone the ability to know that, and then that's why I think I you see certain fads because yes, it works for a lot of people, but not others, and people wonder why. Well, it's just it's not a one size fits all. So. No, and I, I agree, and I think some people they're like, well, I'm doing yoga. That's all I want to do because I want to get bulky, and it's like mm-hmm. it won't work that way just yeah. because I mean, you just explained it. Now I see more women doing yoga than men. Is there a you know, a physiological or biological reason why is it the women are naturally more flexible, or is it that men just have more muscle tissue, thus being more tense? Uh, I mean, I think it's more just marketing in general. I mean, uh, so it's more of a marketing point than necessarily. Maybe men view yoga as a little wimpy and it's not as fun, and women like it because it's cleaner. You know, I don't know, but no, there's no inherent flexibility. Like men should would benefit just as there's no physiologic difference between men and women that allows 
yoga to be beneficial for one versus the other. It just, like I said, for me, even me, I was a gymnast. I'm pretty tight in my upper back, and some of the yoga poses I just don't have success with. So I'm, and it's not something I've gravitated towards. But my wife, on the other hand, who is, you know, no, no more flexible to me. Maybe a little bit less, you know, bulky, and she can move a little bit better through the poses. She likes it because it challenges her in different ways. And she likes the, the breathing component and just the mental clarity it gives her. So I don't know if there's a difference in just what we prefer, but physiologically, no. I would just say, like I said, if you are more flexible, you're going to be able to do more things in yoga initially. And so you may just gravitate towards it because if you stink at something, it's not going to be very fun to do. Right. And a lot of men will go into it and they can't get in the poses and they can't do the things. And doing them a million times isn't going to... It'll make you a little bit better, but for many people, it's not. you're not going to all of a sudden be able to achieve that mobility to make it fun, and that's really not the goal they wanted. Uh, you know, They just wanted to do something that they liked and enjoyed that was good for their health, and if they don't like it and enjoy it because they can't do it very well, it's still making it good for their health, but you got to find that balance of an activity that you like and you enjoy, and it's good for your health. Um, and then you also have to do some things that you may not like and enjoy but are good for your health. So I always tell people, like, go from in terms of exercise, there are certain things you have to do to maintain your health, and then you should spend, you know, being active, being physically active is part of exercise, and you should spend time doing things you enjoy. You know, if you like to play tennis, or you like to play basketball, or you like to golf, or you like to kickbox or yoga, find something you enjoy in addition to the maintenance that you have to do for your body. And then, you know, if you, if you want to perform at a high level, you got to do what it takes to perform at that level, so... So let's go down that road where you said there's things you have to do to say health. So what are those things, in your mind, you have to do? In my opinion, everyone has to do some sort of, and I, this word is like thrown out all the time, mobility and stretching. So mm-hmm. when I talk about mobility, I'm just in talking in terms of like the soft tissue in your body. Like I'm sitting here right now uh, talking with, with Mike and you, and I'm not in the best posture. So my upper back and neck muscles are going to be tight. And if I continue to we do this... can stand if it makes it easier. <laughs> I, you know, but that, it just so happens, you know, the activities in life are going to cause muscular tightness, cause things to tighten up. So it's important on a, on a, at least weekly, but more like a daily basis, to do something to maintain the quality of your soft tissue. And the best way to do that is with, you know, whether it's foam rolling, lacrosse ball, some, some sort of pressure through the tissue to help you know, relax some of the muscular tissue and keep you healthy. You do, and stretching is another component to it. Stretching is just taking the, the muscle to uh, putting it on stretch and making it elongated, and that helps to relax it. So if you're really tight in a muscle, it helps to massage it, foam roll it, something to that uh, effect, and then knowing how to stretch it will help calm it down. So that's something that I think everyone needs to do on at least a weekly, but really stretching and mobility should be used on a daily basis to just make you feel better. And you'll know if you're sitting for a long time and you have a phone and you lay on it, or you just get up and move and you you stretch, it's gonna make you feel better. And that feeling better, if you can apply that on a daily basis, is gonna help you prevent some of the chronic issues that we see. Uh, on top of that, another thing you need to do is there's you know maybe eight to 10 fundamental movement patterns that everyone needs to go through. Um, three of them are the squat, the lunge, and the hinge. So you need to incorporate those movement patterns into a regular exercise routine that you're doing at least on a weekly basis to maintain that movement pattern because they're so important to life. And then within those movement patterns, by just doing those movements, you're gonna maintain a certain level of strength. And then if you're really like, you wanna, everything you have, you have to do something for your cardiovascular system. So go on a walk, you know, stay active, be, be moving. If you're sedentary, even if you do all the mobility and the stretching and and the basic fundamental movements, but if you don't get your heart to move and to be at a consistent, you know, for over at least 10, 15 minutes, your cardiovascular system is gonna be less than optimal. So you wanna make sure that you're doing something for not just for your musculoskeletal and movement system, but for your, um, for your heart, lungs, and all the, the respiratory systems that you need. So that would be what, I mean, baseline, you, you gotta do it. If you want, if you're someone that says, I wanna be healthy into my 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and I wanna have no pain, then those are things that you have to do. And they really only take 15 minutes a day. Right. You know, 15, 20 minutes a day. If you know what to do and how to apply them, and then if you're someone who really likes to exercise and wants to, like, sweat and burn, you can implement those as part of your workout 
um, and you can do the things you enjoy. So you can combine them. You just have to know what you're doing when you're doing it so that you can make sure you're doing the things that you have to do to stay healthy. And you're making sure that the, I always use this term, you don't want your fitness to get in the way of your health. Because a lot of people will do something to try to improve their fitness, but it's really detrimental to their health because it's loading the body too much. They're doing it at a, at a point where they can't handle it, or it's just a bad movement to do overall. You know, there's certain exercises that I see all the time that we know are just the risk-reward ratio is not there. It means you're putting your body at too much risk, and there's not really much reward for doing that movement or that exercise besides the fact that you feel a good burn when you do it. Right. But there's 10, 15 other exercises or movements you could do that will put your body at less risk for injury, and it will produce the same result. So we're going to swing back around to all that. So when it comes to the mobility part, which you use lacrosse ball, um, the foam roller, and you said daily is the best, best form of doing it, if, if not once a week. Mm-hmm. When would you say is the best time to do that? You know, early morning, before you go to bed, before activity, after activity? I, there's not one. The time of day doesn't necessarily matter, but like when you wake up in the morning and you're naturally a little stiff, it's good to just you know move around, get some blood flow, go maybe take a shower, and then you can do some of those light stretches first thing in the morning after you your body's kind of waking up, woken up to get some blood flow. You can do it first thing in the morning if you if you know what you're doing. You just have to go gradually. You don't want to just go right into a stretch first thing when you wake up in the morning. Every you just want it to be gradual. You want it to be relaxing. I do recommend doing, you know, the foam rolling and stretching post workout or post, you know, uh, sport. Uh, just to help calm things down, it can facilitate healing and recovery. So that's a good thing. And then as a as a dynamic warm up, you can do it. So a lot of times in a in a physical therapy session, if someone's coming in with back pain, and I know that foam rolling their glutes uh, and their upper back is going to be important to their rehab, then I have them do it first thing because it helps. It, it's some movement prep they can do, and then I have them do it at the end. So that's kind of how I utilize it in a rehab setting. But as a just a daily maintenance, you know. If you're doing it, and then also for symptomatic relief, if you're, you know, when you start to feel tight and stiff in those muscles, that's when you can do it throughout the day. It's like instead of popping in an Advil, you just hop on your phone roll. Yeah. It's just it's 15 seconds. You do it. You feel good. It lasts another two hours. You're at your desk typing. Okay, I'm getting stiff again. I'm going to do it again. Um, so there's so many different ways you can apply it throughout the day. But, you know, if you're going to do it on a consistent basis with working out before and after is a good thing. And then if you're just doing it throughout the day when you feel tight or if you've done an activity that makes you stiff and tight then you can utilize that to return your body to you know more of a homeostasis and return those soft tissues to a normal resting length see because all the athletes i have come through here that's the first thing they do is that and they end with it that's a good way of doing it now you hit three of the movement patterns the fundamental movement patterns mm-hmm. you should do which was the lunge the hinge and the squat what are the other ones and then give me an give me an example okay. of what those are so we look at, I look at core stability as a, fun, you know, it's a fundamental, not this pattern, but a skill. And so when I look at core stability, I look at from a very, very fundamental level. There's other ways to look at it, but it's good to be systematic about it. And the way I look at it is, you know, we look at your ability to do what's called the reverse active straight leg raise. So that's, you know, another word is like a scissor movement. It's where your legs are pointing straight up in the air and then you, you're able to maintain a neutral spine and lower one leg, lift it up lower the other leg, lift it up. It's a basic, you know, ab exercise, mm-hmm. but if you're if you're just doing it to maintain neutral spine stability, that's a fundamental movement. It also, it, it shows that you have good hamstring and hip mobility. A plank is a good, you know, measure of core stability. And then you can do the same thing with the, where you're just lowering both legs up and down. So those are the three core stability exercises that I look at um, to measure someone's you know, I want them to have good core stability. That's what we, we progress up to those, and we work to maintain those fundamental skills. Glute stability, so that's your butt muscles, your ability to extend your hip. So we use the bridge, you mm-hmm. know, as a basic fundamental movement. It teaches you how to activate the glute and to extend your hip without moving your back, which is a movement skill that's used with walking. It's used when you get up and down from the chair. It's used in squatting. It's used in tens of tons of things. Your ability to load your hips and go from an angle of flexion, which is like when you're bent over, to an angle of extension, which is where your hips are open and straight, without losing that neutral spine. So that's a fundamental movement skill, and we can practice that by using the bridge and then progressing to a single leg bridge. 
We also look at scapular stability, which is also your, which is your shoulder blades. So that works with posture. A couple different movements that we do, but they're all, you know, you can't see me now, but they're all, you know, activating the shoulder blade like a row. If, you, if you're familiar with like a, a rowing motion, that's one exercise you can do to develop good scapular stability. But there's a couple others that we look at on a fundamental level. Rotator cuff stability. We use you know, the internal external rotations with bands and weights to measure the strength and make sure that they're recruiting the right way. And uh, that would be what I'd say, you know, yeah. And then the mobility. So if you have in cardiovascular um, fitness and ability. So if you can maintain the squat, the lunge, the hinge, good core stability, good glute stability, good scapular stability, good rotator cuff stability, and good mobility, you're going to be healthy. You're going to be healthy. You're going to be healthy. And you, most likely, if you can do those movements, you're going to be strong enough and you're going to be flexible enough. Um, and that's really, that's what we look at. It's, so it's not that complicated, but to learn those movements and really understand them, it just takes some time. And, and most, it's, it's sad. I think everyone who is instructing or prescribing exercise to a human being getting paid for it should understand those basic patterns and how to teach them, how to progress them, how to improve them, and how to maintain them. But most of the time, you know, when you're just doing a bicep curl or you're doing a bench press, oh, and the, and the push-up is another one. Sorry, I forgot the pushing motion. So, you know, those are the fundamental things that you're always working on. You can look at any exercise out there, and it, it's going to have one of those patterns in there. Mm -hmm. You know, you just have to know which one you're doing so you can get the benefit from the exercise without the negative effects. So if you, the more you understand about movement, the better you are going to, the better you're going to be at exercising, the more you're going to get out of it, and that just the healthier you're going to be. Like a higher reward, less risk kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to, say, like the core stability, are you looking for a certain amount of reps or time, like in the plank, or is it just can they hold the position? At first, you know, we're looking, can they do it? Can okay. you, do you have the skill, right? Anything, we're like, can you do it once, twice, three times, and repeat it, you know, for just a small amount of reps, and you have the ability to do the movement skill. We call that motor control. You know, so when we're looking at core stability in the plank, can you hold a plank for 10, 15 seconds and maintain a neutral spine and feel it where you're supposed to feel it? That's another thing we look at. You know, it's not just does it look right, but it has to feel right. You have to get the right response from the exercise. A lot of people, if you're doing an exercise for core stability, but you feel it in your back, there's something going wrong with your movement, um, your, your recruitment patterns that we need to address. So on a basic level, we just want you to be able to do it for a small amount of reps. But then we want you for the plank. I like to have people, you should be able to hold it for a minute. For a squat, you should be able to do 20 bodyweight squats, no problem. These are really, really basic exercises that everyone should be able to do. And then there, we put a number to it. There's, this isn't in the research. This is just what I found to be successful. You know, for a push-up, you should be able to do 10 bodyweight push-ups. Most people can't even do one. No. So... You know, because they're 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 doing the bench press and they're doing other things. And if if you're you never done a push up and you're in your 60s, you may may take you a year or two to develop that strength, or you may not ever quite get there. But if you're working towards that pattern in a right in the right way, you're going to be doing much much more benefit for your health than you would if you don't if you just ignore it altogether. So, regardless of your injury or your or your age or your ability level, you can perform those movements at a level that's going to be appropriate for you. It's just about finding that. And then if you really want to improve, doing the drills, doing the things that are going to help improve your movement over a long period of time to get there. But yeah, we do attach certain numbers and objective things to each exercise that we want to see just because we know that this is going to be a good replica of life. And if you can do this, you're going to be more like, you know, you're going to be able to play golf. You're going to be able to play with your kids. You're going to be able to do the things that you want to do now. If I got a you know NFL football player in front of me, they got to be able to squat too, but they got to be able to squat with weight. Mm -hmm. They got to be able to do it because they're they need the strength and the power, and their legs are going through a lot more, you know, pounding than what you are playing golf or just playing with your kids. So they have to prepare their body for the punishment that they're gonna absorb in their sport. And same thing, you know. So it's just it just depends, you know. But from a basic, just a like you just want to live life and be healthy and active. Yes. There are, I believe there are certain things that you have to be able to do and you should be able to do a certain quality and quantity to them. So when it comes to the quantity, and then you know, with the NFL guy, the same movement as anyone else, it's just they're adding more volume to it, essentially. Yeah. So when it comes to, say, the, the quantity, so if I'm doing a plank and after about 30 seconds, I start to fail, but the first 30 seconds, perfect form. Mm -hmm. So how would you, you know, 
I guess, evaluate that. You know, I have good form to begin with, but then my endurance is a hold up. Is it more, would you say, is a skeletal issue or a muscle issue or is it a skill or how would you gauge that? And same thing with a push-up. Say I can only do like four, but my form is perfect. Yeah. So it's a combination. And squats is the same yeah. thing. Yeah. So the, the better you get at the skill development part of it, the less energy it's going to take to perform that movement. So if you're really skilled at doing a squat or a push-up, you're going to be able to do more reps than someone who's not. And, and, and it all comes down to practice. I was a gymnast, and so I did push-ups my entire life. I can do push-ups in my sleep. So for me, that exercise, I can do a ton of them. I, mean, I can do 50 in a row, no problem. And I can get the benefit from that. And I'm not, I won't break down partly because my skill is there, but then the other part is you know, just muscular endurance. You know, it's just about volume and doing it. So you take that person who can do the plank for you know, 30 seconds, but then they, they fail. If you have a program in place, within, within four to six weeks, you'll see change and they'll be able to hold it for a minute. They just have to practice it. And do it. What I see a lot of times in fitness when they have, they're doing everything right, but they, they change it up too much. You know, you, you do plank one day and then you, you do another exercise or you do something else. You have to do the same thing over and over and over again to get better at it. If you want to get better at something. Right. And so if we're deeming that the plank is an important exercise to be good at because it's going to promote all these things, then you got to practice it. You got to do it. You got to. You know, do it for 30 seconds one time, fight through those 10 seconds that are, you know, your body will adapt if it's uh, stressed in the right way. So it's all about how you stress the body and then uh, getting that adaptation. Um, and it, it works twofold. If you, the more you practice it, the better you're going to be at it. As long as you're consciously practicing, you can't just do it sloppily. You know, you're not going to get any benefit from that if you don't know what the right form is or what you're trying to achieve. So getting better at the, the actual skill and then putting in the work to achieve better muscular endurance or better strength within that movement is going to help you. And there's, you know, if you want to be better at running, you got to run. If you want to be better at golf, golf, you got to golf. Like I can't give you, there's no amount of drill. I can give you a bunch of stuff that's going to improve your mobility to help you with golf. You still got to go on the range and practice and play and practice and play. And yeah. the same thing with movement. If you want to be good at something, then you got to practice it and you got to practice it a lot. And you have to be aware of why you're practicing, what you're trying to achieve when you're practicing. I think that's a hang-up on people is that, like, why do I can't move? They, they always have a cop-out, like, why they can't move. And it's just like, well, no, you can't move because you're not practicing anymore. You know, I have a newborn, and he moves very well. He squats to the ground. I mean, he, he does everything very well because he had he doesn't have the culture, I guess, outside environment to, I guess, adopt a bad movement pattern. And... I believe that full-heartedly. I think the main reason people move poorly is because they stop practicing good movement and society has put them in bad positions. You know, think about it. We, we sleep for, I guess, eight hours a day. We're supposed to. So we're flat. And then how many people sleep properly? They're probably tossing and turning, knees this way, arms this way, so they wake up sore. Then you wake up, you sit down and eat breakfast. You sit down and drink a coffee or watch TV. And then you're sitting in a car for an hour a day sitting. And then you sit in your office all day for eight hours. And then I go to the gym and I sit and I exercise. So we're sitting and we're putting ourselves in bad positions all day. And we wonder why we have no movement. I mean, the, you know, the, the term has been used as sitting is the new smoking. Right. So we're, yeah, sitting puts your... You're probably really good at maintaining, you know, a hip flexion of 90 degrees mm -hmm. and your knees bent. And, and but... Doing, putting, being in that sitting position causes muscular imbalances over time unless you utilize stretching, exercise, movements to normalize the tissues and everything else. So that's probably why, you know, in my opinion, why nowadays we see, we see, you know, I think it, I don't, I think this is right, but back, low back pain is the number one cause of disability in the United States. I read, and, read it, we have a book over there, the 11, 11 issues with lower backs or something. And over there. so, yeah. you know, it's, you know, and you, and you think back to the 1900s and the, the amount of physical jobs people are doing has declined drastically. So it's not like people are, you can't use the excuse like we're, you know, the physical labor is taxing on the back because most people have transitioned from physically demanding jobs where our backs were actually healthier to, you know, more sedentary jobs, but now our backs are are getting worse and the the higher the highest incidence of low back pain is truck drivers because they sit all day mm -hmm. um that's a good one and it's just you know i learned that in, in pt school so it's it's just it's a problem but it, it's an easy problem to solve i mean we got the sit stand desks we got you know we just have to apply the knowledge you you know you can sit 
for long periods of time, but you have to be able to understand the you know sit in the best posture you can. But that's not the like. There's all these yeah. That's the easy fix that people think I'm just going to put a, a back roll on my thing or I'm going to get a sit stand desk. But there's no amount of you know support that's going to going to help you if you're sitting for more than 30 minutes consistently over and over and over again your body is going to adapt to that position and that's not a good functional position and it puts a lot of added stress on the low back so you have to do something when your hips get that tight and your upper back gets tight and your low back's in that kind of slouch flex position even if you're trying your best to sit up in the right way and you got that roll after 30 or so minutes you're going to slump it's just it's going to happen no right. matter how much you're aware of it so you can do some things to counteract that position. It's just like if you're a baseball player and all you do is throw with your right arm, I mean, if you don't do anything to take care of that arm, it's going to wear down eventually because repetitive motion over time is just going to, the body will, will break down and it needs something to restore it. And sitting is just another repetitive motion that we do all day long. It's just putting tear on the body. Because I've always told people, you know, I've had to tell people say, I can't squat because I have, bad, I have a lower back. My term to that is, you know, you have a lower back because you can't squat. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's, uh, you know, in underdeveloped countries where they actually don't sit on the toilet yep. and they squat to use the bathroom, they have a much lower incidence of low back pain. And they're probably doing high, much, much higher demanding jobs than we are. Um, and back to the newborn, you know, I have a nine-month-old. He's just crawling now. You know, that's how he's working on his core stability. He's developing it through that crawling pattern which is a rotational stability, and then he'll he'll progress through the lunge and the squat so to learn how to stand up. Mm -hmm. So those neurodevelopmental patterns is what we see. That's where a lot of the movement science has come out of is looking at kids and how they develop. And but as you you know, kids have a bias towards being super flexible. They have you know the the muscle fiber types that they have are more geared towards having flexibility. They need to learn you know in that first year of life they're learning how to control it. And then they, they learn how to move, but they and they practice movement all day long. That's mm -hmm. all they do. You know, right. first they learn how to sit, or they learn how to roll, which is using their core. And then you know, you talk about if you have kids, you know, they say do tummy time because in the womb their spine is curved and flexed, and they need to develop that that spine. And they also that's how they develop their upper body strength to push to get them ready to crawl, to get them ready to pull up on things, and then they can stand. Um, and um, you look at, even I have my three-year-old, he squats perfectly, you know, but I just worked in the clinic today. I came from the office. I worked with a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old girl, both athletes. They squat terribly. <laughs> They're like one of the girl, the girl. Do they have inserts in their shoes? Uh, no, it's just, you know, one of the girls had, had uh, she grew like six inches in, you know, in the summer and she just grown into her body. But even before that, they don't work on, you know, because we don't play as much as we used to. They don't, they, they, she lost that pattern a long time ago. And then with the growth, now she's having pain. So she comes to me, but that's how, that's where I look at it. You know, she didn't, it wasn't like two days ago she could squat and then she just lost it in a day. She, she couldn't squat down to get something off the ground, the you know, without lifting her heels up or without doing it. She tightened up, you know, way before I saw her years ago. Mm -hmm. And then now the growth has, you know, uh, compounded the problem yeah. and she but she's still an athlete she's still you know going through the she and she's ramped up her intensity so that's what happens to kids and that's what happens to adults too if they you know they don't do something and then they go do it at a long intensity your body will break down especially if you had some change in your life that's not you know it's been 10 years since you you sprinted and then you go to sprint you know you may get away with it but you know <laughs> your hand is going to explode probably are, something's going to happen and and it wasn't anything wrong with the activity. It's just you didn't ramp up, or you lost that lost that skill at that level. Um, so yeah, movement is it's we see it in kids, and then we see it in adults. Um, and you know, I'm 33. I still can do everything pretty much that I used to be able to do, but I don't I don't train you know to do an Iron Cross anymore. I just train to play with my kids and. And I like to play tennis and golf, and I want to be able to play a, a game of pickup basketball if I, if I ever get to, you know, if I ever have the time. But um, that's why I exercise and work out, and you know, and I run for cardiovascular health because I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I uh, I like the peace. I put my iPod in there. We ran some half marathons. Um, me and my wife. It's an activity we do together, so it's something I enjoy. Um, but the, I don't really 
I like to be active and I like the feeling that exercise gives me, but I don't, you know, I don't need to push myself like I did when I was in my 20s because I don't have a goal of competing in a sport. And if you do, though, if I was, you know, 33 and I wanted to be in a CrossFit Games, then there's a the smart way to do it and there's a non-smart way to do it. And, and regardless of what your goals are, you got to work on the movement. You got to understand how those movements are going to impact your function and your performance and then create a plan that's going to, you know, to achieve a goal. And it's just... So it all kind of goes back to movement. So two more questions and we'll, we'll get this wrapped up. Um, one was the cardiovascular. So in your opinion, how long, you said about 10 to 15 minutes. Now, is it, do you have to have extended heart rate, consistent? I mean, how would you ram that? So if I'm doing 15 minutes of cardio, am I just going balls to the wall for 15 minutes? Or, I mean, what's the best way? Because I hate to say it, most people want to be health and, healthy and fit the least amount of time and pain it has to put into the body. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, and I may get these wrong because the numbers change all the time, but the American Heart Association, they're always recommended from the last time I checked, it was like 30 to 40 minutes of moderate intensity uh, exercise five days a week. You know, so what does that mean? And so I, I, I struggle with that because I, I probably under-prescribe on the cardiovascular just because I don't want to tell people that they got to go out and spend 45 minutes, you know, running every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my, in my clinical experience, really, I think, to your point is you can, you can get... The, if you're fit and you move well, then your options for achieving cardiovascular health go up a lot. And by that, I mean, like, my mom, who's 62, with bad knee pain, and um, she, she may want to run or be, be – she want, may all get it in in 15 minutes, but she can't because she can't work out of that intensity safely. So you can get a lot – you know, you can get – there's all the, all the studies with cardiovascular health, they, they relate to caloric burn, so – you know, if you can, you can burn more calories if you get your heart rate higher for a shorter period of time. So if you're, if you can't get your heart rate high enough, then you got to do it for longer periods is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So, and, but overall, like if you go on a walk 30 minutes a day, which isn't that much, I don't like the 10,000 steps because it's usually, it's not always consistent, continuous. You want continuous movement. That's why I use the 10 to 15 minutes. Cause if you're at least doing 10 to 15 minutes, your heart is going to be working on a continuous basis for it. But ideally, it would be 30 minutes of something of low, of low intensity, moderate intensity, whatever you can handle. Um, and then if you can do higher intensity stuff, then, yeah, you don't have to do as long, maybe, to just get the same it. benefit. You just have to do it. But most people can't function at that high intensity very efficiently, though, without breaking down and do that on a consistent basis. So it's better to... To have to do it a little longer, but do it, you know, at a less intense pace, it's going to be better for your health. Um, See, I like the fact you put the 10,000 steps in there because I hear all the time, oh, I did my 10,000 steps today. You know, I worked 10 minutes here, 5 minutes there. But the idea is continuous, and that's key. And if you look at recovery is another metric. So if you get your heart rate up, how long does it take to get back to baseline is another measure of cardiovascular health. So if we're... You can get your heart rate up through movement-based exercises that you don't have to. So you can kill two birds with one stone, mm-hmm. but you have to be able, like, if you can if you can barely do a squat and you can't do 10, 10 reps of it, you're not going to be able, that's not a good activity to get your heart rate up. Most people can walk or at the bare minimum, you know, even if you're, like, right out of a surgery, you can get hop on a bike and pedal. So those are you have to choose the activity to get your heart rate up and it has to be the right activity for you based on your movement ability and if you have a greater range of movement ability you're you can pick from different options uh you can run you can sprint you can do box jumps you can any other a lot of the lower body exercise will get your heart rate up more and if you can maintain those types of exercises for a 20 to 30 minute span boom you got your cardio you don't need to go on a walk Mm -hmm. you know necessarily but most people that I work with, and it's not just because they were in pain, it's just because the level of fitness and movement in the country is just the point where they, you know, doing squat jumps and box jumps isn't really the best thing for them. So I don't prescribe it. So we do the movement-based stuff to get to work on their musculoskeletal health, and then I prescribe, you know, walking for a half hour to get their cardiovascular health. But if you're, the fitter you are, the better you move, you don't necessarily need to do cardio. (laughs) You can do you can do squats and lunges and, and kettlebell swings and there's tons of different movements that are going to get your heart rate up 
but you have to be able to maintain those movements over you know a longer period of time to get the benefit without risking you know joint health. So coming back to the skill. Yeah. Now, you said something about letting your heart rate come back down to baseline. Mm-hmm. In your definition, what is a good number to come back down from? Like, how long should it take to come back down to baseline? Oh, man. Put me to the test. Yes, I did. Um, <laughs> my exercise physics teacher will be disappointed. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't want to just make up an answer. So that one I'm not, I'm not quite – I don't have the numbers on. But if you're uh, – Nah, I don't know that one. But I know resting heart rate, you know, should a healthy resting heart rate is between 60 and 80 beats per minute. And an easy way to get to max heart rate is 220 minus your age. It's not exact, yeah. but it's easiest. So if you want to look at, you know, how, and if you want to be in 80% of that, you just take that number, 220 minus your age, 80% of that um, is a good, you know, exercise tool to be used. And then you know, as far as like amount of time, if you're really, really looking at a clock and when your heart gets back down to, you know, under a hundred, I don't know, I would say, you know, within a minute you should be able to recover, but that may be a, so that that's, may be a bad was, answer, that's what know. we always went by was with under 60 seconds, you know, and, and you'll see, and, and you can start, you can just set a metric and see, uh, let's say it took you two minutes, you know, and then you train for four weeks. And then you, you see the progress. And so you're just trying to get it better. Right. You know, not necessarily to a normative value, but just trying to improve it. Because if your goal is cardiovascular health and you're someone who says, like, I need to work on it, well, you got to have objective measures to know that you're improving. And some of those objective measures was, you know, I could only walk a mile and now I can walk two miles. So, see, that's a good gauge. You know, you can do that. That's going to be a measure part, but other factors may have made you ability to be able to walk that extra mile. It could have been now you're stronger in your legs and you're not having knee pain. So if you're just looking at cardiovascular health, you know, the recovery and the heart rate is the best way to, to really objectify progress and improvement. But you can look at it from a more holistic way and say, you know, I used to only be able to exercise for 10 minutes at a time and now I can do 20 minutes no problem. Or I used to get short, short breaths walking up the steps, but now I don't get that. You know, so... Because cardiovascular health in a vacuum isn't really that important if you don't have the musculoskeletal health to back it up. Because if you don't have the musculoskeletal, you can't utilize your cardiovascular health. Right. You know, if you can't go up steps because your knee hurts, because your leg, your quad doesn't function, but you're in great cardiovascular shape, it won't matter. Because <laughs> you, can't you, won't, use you, won't make up, you won't make it up the mountain anyways. Because <laughs> um, your knee will be the limiting factor, not your cardiovascular endurance. Um, but they work hand in hand because most people with poor musculoskeletal health have poor cardiovascular health because they don't move as much. Yeah, so, they can't work on it. So it's just more common sense stuff than really being objective. And yeah, I wish I knew the, the exact numbers on the recovery, but no. Because I go, the reason I ask that, because you know, you see a lot of programs nowadays on online where it says like rest time, 90 seconds, rest time, 60 seconds, rest time, 30 seconds. Yeah. And you're like, well, let's get their heart rate down. I'm like, well, how do you know if they can get their heart rate down? Because something like you mentioned earlier, skill. If you're doing something you're good at, like squats, mm-hmm. um, your heart rate's not going to spike as high as something if you're going to do something you're not good at, like, say, burpees. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to take longer to come back down because you're doing a skill your body's not used to. So it's all objective. And I think most people, they, they take something from online and said, well, it worked for this guy. I want to be like him. Yeah. you gotta, you got to individualize it to the person. And, you know, it can, it can be as easy as a feeling. You know, why do you want your heart rate to get down? If you're working on, you know, strength, you don't want your heart you don't want your heart rate to be so high all the time because those strength movements are meant to be skillful movements that can be performed, you know, with, with some weight and there's sort of a risk of injury and you just, and you're, you're working on one system and the, it's hard to work on multiple systems at once. That's why, you know, if you look at activity like, and I don't, I don't think CrossFit is bad. I like CrossFit. So if you're a CrossFit and you're listening, it's not a bad thing, but they mess with the varial there's certain like fundamental movements or certain principles of exercise and one of the principles as intensity goes up uh, volume needs to drop okay you can't have if you raise intensity and you raise volume it's not it's not the best thing and CrossFit tends to do things that are high intensity high volume high rep and that's in my opinion why you see some of the injuries now They've turned it into a sport, so it's fine, you know, that you have to train that way because you have to compete. But for the average person just wanting to do CrossFit to be healthy, they should modify those variables. So if you're going to do a higher intensity movement like a kettlebell swing, 
you shouldn't do a thousand of them. No. You should be, you know, small amounts. You know, you look at sports, you know, you're not going to do, you know, there's no sport that requires you to sprint balls to the wall for an hour. Body can't handle it. You mm-hmm. know, they can't do it. You sprint and then you rest. You sprint and you rest. So when you train it, you usually train it in that way. And same thing with, you know, just daily performance. You don't want to, if you're going to, exercise is supposed to promote health. It's not supposed to beat you up. It's supposed to give you more durability, not less. And so by doing an exercise that's high intensity, high volume over a long period of time, you're just going to break down, okay? Same thing with running. You know, if you're training for a half, a marathon, that's why there's training plans. You don't run, you know, go out and run 26 miles the entire training. You ramp up to that, and then you only do that, those high volume runs for a very, very short period of time. And then you you do your race, and then you drop it back down. You're okay. Um, So... Now, we've talked about this before. Now, opinion of overtraining and under rehabbing yeah. is do they go hand in hand, or is can you overtrain and proper rehab? I mean, those go hand in hand, or is it just you're not rehabbing enough and that's why you're getting hurt? Uh, I think it's a combination. So, I think every every training program should have some rehab component to it, and rehab and training really are the same thing. They're just at a different level, in my opinion, you know. So, like, if you're going to train and you're going to do some rehab-based exercises for to maintain good core stability, good glute activation, it's like, it's just like, they're like the drills that work on the movement. And then when you train, you're going to do the higher-level stuff to improve your strength. So, overtraining is a combination of just pure overtraining, too much volume. And then, like you said, it... It can be, I never use the word under rehab, but I think that's a good term because it's really just, it's a lack of fundamental movement skill and ability to support the level of training. So if, you, if you're someone who, you know, we'll take the marathon example, and they want to run a marathon, but every time they get to 14 miles, their body breaks down. Is the marathon not for them? Could be, but potentially is. They don't have a good training program that implements some of the rehab principles and movement principles alongside to allow them to extend past that 14 miles. So, you know, they may they may have felt like they overtrained and that's why they got hurt. But really, it was because they didn't do anything to recover and get their body performing at a quality level before they started training or while they were training to allow them to to get past that 14 miles. So it's gonna it's gonna be genetics. It's gonna be pure volume and you you know, every nobody everybody's gonna could has the potential to overtrain at some point. Everybody has its breaking point. Um, but if you don't do the stuff, if you don't have a good quality movement on the front end and you don't work on maintaining that movement and soft tissue quality as you train, you're just gonna make yourself overtrain or incur an injury a lot faster. You still may, you know, you may have that injury anyways, but it'll probably happen a lot later or longer in the training and you're gonna recover a lot faster. It just depends. If you're when you're training at that higher level, there is an inherent risk of injury. So it's right. not, you know, when you play a sport and you're training, it's not like the people in the NFL and the college sports. They're not preparing their body, and that's why they got hurt. They're performing in, in a high, high level activity that has some risk of injury. And I'm okay with them, you know, dealing, going through that, and and doing it. But if you're, that's where I separate those that type of training for. If you tell me, like, I just want to be healthier, I'm a weekend warrior, and you don't have any specific competition that you're working towards, you can choose to put your body at risk. But most people, they don't, that's not why they do it. They want to do it because it's fun, and there's a way to do it that keeps it fun, but also so it doesn't let the fitness get in the way of your health. So I think when it comes to overtraining, it's usually multifaceted, but it could be just too much volume, not enough quality, and then a combination of the two. You know? That's pretty way to put it. Because I think a lot of people, they just don't know that. So, um, last word. Mm-hmm. In your opinion, what's performance to you in your life, not just in your business life or as a, gym, yeah. a gymnast? What would you say if I said, Kevin, what is performance to you? And end it well. All right. Performance to me is being able to go through daily life without pain, first and foremost. Being able to feel good doing the physical activities that you want to do. And then being able to perform those basic fundamental movement skills um, at a certain quality and certain um, quantity 
to to show strength and then and that's it you know if you can perform and you can do all those things and you're gonna be healthy active pain-free and you're gonna be able to do anything you want to do in life um, and you're gonna be able to maintain that skill and that that quality of life forever so good i like that so if people want to get a hold of you what's the best way to get a hold of you uh best way is go to our website it's uh cospineandjoint.com uh central ohio spine and joint we're at uh, 768 Park Meadow Road in Westerville, Ohio. Uh, that's the best way. Um, you can get in con- contact me there. We can send a message, text us, call us to set up an appointment, or we call them free discovery sessions if you just want to chat about something. Um, you can ask for me, um, but that's the best way. So it's. Uh, and you also have an online platform too, as well, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. So we we developed an online platform. It's uh, if you go to live live active you or live active yeah liveactiveu.com you can see that it's um, you'll see see me on there and I'll, I'll have some options to get an online program and we usually you know if you see me in the clinic a lot of times we'll implement that as part of the the treatment program because it helps to educate and that's really my biggest goal is to help not only provide the treatment to get you where you want to do but go but to give you the education and knowledge and empowerment to utilize these skills that I've been talking about on your own. So, yeah, that's that's the best way. Central Ohio Spine and Joint, that's cospineandjoint.com, or for the online program, you can get uh, go to liveactiveu.com, um, but it's the same thing. So, I mean, I, I appreciate it. I, had, I learned a lot on this, and I'm sure some other people will as well. But I'll post all this stuff um, on the notes below all this, so if anybody has any more questions, they'll be in the notes. And... Anything else you want to add, or are you good? No, I love talking about this stuff, uh, so thanks for having me, and I hope I provided some value for you guys. You did.